Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Today, we're going to be in Luke 10. We're going to stay in Luke 10. We're going to talk about um, the story of Mary and Martha. And I think this is a story that can be kind of considered more of a common or churchy story, maybe one that you kind of grew up hearing or are used to hearing about in one way. And I'm excited today because as I was able to just kind of dig in and do some, some more research and reading, and we talked about this as a teaching team, I, mean, I think there are some really cool pieces that kind of push beyond maybe our traditional understanding of the story or maybe just how we've heard it before. And I think there's something here for each of us. So are you ready to do that with me? Can we do that together this morning, church? It's going to be good. All right. So if you've got your Bible, open your Bible. We're going to turn to Luke 10. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. And I'm going to read it out loud. Um, Luke 10, verse 38. We are looking at two sisters, Martha and Mary, as Jesus comes um, through through their city. Verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. So we've got Martha and Mary. And I want to talk about just this idea of discipleship. Um, Because I think that both Martha and Mary were engaged in the ministry of Jesus. And oftentimes when we hear this story, Martha kind of gets a bad rap. Like she's sort of like the busybody in the kitchen, worried about the housework or the dishes or like the minimal stuff that doesn't matter. And Mary is the one who is often portrayed as like physically, like in the living room, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just doing nothing but hearing his teaching. And I think that sometimes how we, um, based on how the story has been told, can like picture what's happening in our minds. And I think there are two things important that are important here that may kind of push us past that initial understanding of what's going on. Um, and as I read more and researched more, I found that there are some scholars who talk about two important things that we're going to break down today. One thing is just this idea of what some of these Jewish phrases or these phrases would have meant in a Jewish context. And two, a very small Greek word um, that is in some translations, but not in other but that can lend um, an important element to the story. So we're going to break it down together. First, we're going to look at um, the phrase, sat at the Lord's feet. Um, So if you want to put that up there on the slides. So Mary sat at the Lord's feet. And I think we can think of that like as as a physical posture, that she was literally, when Jesus was coming into their city, when he was coming into their home, that she was literally sitting at his feet. But when we look a little closer, what I found about this phrase is that it actually signified a posture of a disciple of Jesus. Yes, there were times that 
the disciples of Jesus sat at the Lord's feet, but it was also this posture of kind of hearing the teachings of Jesus, engaging with his message, and coming up under the teaching of a rabbi. So it meant more than she was literally, physically, at this moment, sitting at the feet of Jesus, but it actually pointed to the, towards the fact that she was a disciple of Jesus. She was part of the group of people who followed Jesus, listening to his messages, hearing his teachings, receiving his words, and loving people. That's who Mary was. And so at this moment in time, she may not have been actually sitting at his feet at that moment. It was more pointing towards her activity as a disciple of Jesus. The other thing I want to talk about is that this Greek word, the word is kai, K-A-I. And in verse 39, when we first get introduced to Martha and Mary, we look at them separately, right? Like Martha received and welcomed Jesus, and then Mary sat at his feet. Like it's presented as two kind of separate identities or two separate things. When we look at, um, at Martha, first of all, the receiving and welcoming of Jesus, if we know more about that term in the context of, um, of Bible times, she would have been receiving Jesus as he came through the village. And she would have provided hospitality for him. She would have welcomed him and, and let him into her home um, and provided what was needed for his stay. But that wasn't the only thing that she was doing. She, receiving or welcoming Jesus also meant she was receiving his message. She was receiving the message of Jesus. And she was um, involved in the message of Jesus in her village, in her village of Bethany, in the place that she resided. And so she was engaging in hospitality, but she was also engaging in ministry because the receiving or the welcoming of Jesus signified her as a follower of Jesus as well. And to push that just a little bit further, we have this word kai. And the word kai, the Greek word, is often found in the King's James, the King James Version, and it's not translated out as much in some of the more recent versions. But this word means also. And so it would, it would read instead, you know, we have Martha who received and welcomed Jesus and her sister Mary who also sat at his feet signifying that Martha and Mary were, were women who sat at the feet of Jesus. They were both disciples of Jesus. They were both engaged in ministry. They were both following Jesus, hearing the word and doing. It just looked different ways. Mary was out in the streets, out in the countryside, traveling with the disciples, proclaiming the name and the word of Jesus. And Mary was home in the village and she was providing hospitality. She was caring for people. She was caring for the marginalized. She was doing the real work on the home front. But they both heard the word of Jesus and were doing the serving and engaging in the ministry of Jesus. Both of these women were disciples of Jesus. And that means that we have something to learn about following Jesus from each of them that this maybe isn't a story of two sisters just kind of like pitted against each other, but there is something to learn about following Jesus from both Mary and from Martha. And I think what's so beautiful about, about this idea is that sitting at the feet of Jesus isn't just vertical. 
Being a disciple of Jesus isn't only about you and Jesus. There's also a horizontal aspect of following Jesus. There's an extension of following Jesus. There's this ability to take what Jesus has done for you, what you are experiencing with him in the vertical, and to overflow it through your life towards other people who need to know the healing and the freedom of Jesus. And what we see in both Martha and Mary is that they were hearing, but they were also doing. And when we break down the text a little bit more and we lean into the context of these phrases and the words that are used, we see that these women were engaged in ministry. And if ministry were for these women in a time when maybe that wasn't uh, common or understood for women to do, what we know is if ministry were for these women, ministry is for us. And I think that every believer, every believer is equipped to extend the love of Jesus in real and tangible ways to the people around them. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer of Jesus, there is a purpose that only you have. There is a context, there is a place in this world, there is a corner of the world that you are called to love. And no one else can do it like you because you only know the context, you only understand the people, you only only know the culture. You, you are the expert on, the, on that place. You know, when the disciples in Matthew said to Jesus, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Like, break it all down for us. What is the one thing we need to take away? What did, what did Jesus say? He said, love God and love people. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and all of the prophets. Everything that the law says, everything the prophets say, it all comes down to the love God and love people. And your loving of God and your loving of people cannot be separated. If you are a follower of Jesus and you only love God, but you don't love your neighbor, you're not, you are not experiencing the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus. There is a horizontal component of this as well. And if these women were doing ministry, if they were hearing and doing, that is something for us too. And I think sometimes in, in uh, the context of the church, we've gotten off track on this idea of, of hearing and doing. And sometimes I think it's just gotten common or easy to reserve, reserve the doing, the loving, the serving to people who, are, um, who work at the church, who are on the platform, who have a certain kind of degree, who, um, you know, who do things a certain kind of a way. And we kind of reserve that stuff for just those people or for when I attend that program or for when that church event is happening. But I really believe that part of following Jesus and part of this idea of loving people and loving God is doing that with our lives, is doing that with our whole selves, with whatever sphere of influence we have, whether that's the marketplace or the classroom or it's the other uh, parents on our kids' soccer team, whatever is around us as we look around and see where there is need, where there are people who don't know Jesus, who aren't experiencing the hope and freedom of Jesus, what does it look like? like for us to step in, to hear, and to do. These women remind us that we all have a purpose, not just the elite, not just the approved, not just the experienced. You don't have to have a seminary degree to do it. There is, there is something that God has given you. 
And some of my, after, in all my experiences in the church, I've been in the church ever since I was little, little kid. In all my experiences, my favorite stories are the stories of the people I knew and know who have looked around them and just taken what they have and what they've got, looked around, saw where there was a need, where there was a need, and just did the next right thing. I think of a couple that I, that I knew from Michigan, Sarah and Benson. They're middle school teachers in a, a very under-resourced kind of rural school district that was just underserved, and there where there were kids who were experiencing mental health stuff and food insecurity and family issues and, and failing, and they just looked around and said, well, like, we don't have it all. We're not social workers. We're not experts in this area. We're, we're just middle school teachers working at the same school, but we are just going to create a space for these kids to come and be safe and be known and loved. And so they started just a low-key after-school thing. And like five students come, would come to hang out, and then 10, and then 20, and then it grew to 50, and then it was in the hundreds. And there were, there were these students coming, and they were engaging mentors and partnering with the school and partnering with the community. And the community was saying to them, like, like, how do we get involved in what you're doing? Like, how can we help? And it, it eventually birthed this whole idea of a community center that changed the whole trajectory of that town and of that city and of that place that they were. And all Sarah and Benson did was say, what can we do, God? How do we step in with what you've given us? How do we step in with these kids that nobody else sees, nobody else is with during the day, but we are, and what can we do? And they just started with whatever they had. I know somebody, he owns an auto mechanic shop, and he's decided that a couple of times a year, he's going to open his doors to single moms. And single moms are going to come, and they're going to get their oil changed and their car tuned up for free, and they're going to provide, like, a little pamper situation for the moms in the waiting room and some, some child not child care, but child activities for stuff while they're waiting. And they're going to love on these single moms in their community. And he's a mechanic and owns a mechanic. That, that's not his lane. That's not his thing. But he took what he had. He took the, the corner of the world that he was, is, that he was in, and he, he used that for the kingdom. I know people who do that with, with their kids' sports teams. They, they raise awareness or money or do an activity towards awareness of a justice issue. Or people who just show up and love their neighbor in the neighborhood who is alone, who's on their own, who, who needs help, or who's unseen. But these are the things, these tangible areas of need and tangible opportunities for us to share the love of Jesus. This is the doing of the gospel. This is the doing of discipleship. This is the hearing and doing. And do you know that when someone meets the love of Jesus expressed to them in a tangible way that meets them where they are, that does so much more for them than probably one sermon ever could. It's an opportunity to experience Jesus, to experience the very essence of who he is. And you, we are all equipped to share the love of Jesus. There's nothing you don't have. There's nothing you are missing. There's nothing you have to do first before you get there. You could walk out of here today, right now, and ask the Lord what it is he has for you. And I believe that he's going to tell you and he's going to show you and give you an idea of what you can use. And you just take a next step in and do the next right thing. And it starts small, and it's low-key, and it's organic, and it's maybe not always super sexy, but it's what the Lord is calling us to do, right? And it's the real stuff. It's, it's the real stuff. And I just hope that for us as a church, man, we just lean into this idea of the hearing, but also the doing. 
And what does it look like for us for City Elgin? What does it look like for us as individual people to step out of these doors and love people through the week? And as a church, man, we're gonna be working on that. As a new campus, we've got some relationships to build, some learning and understanding to do. And behind the scenes, we are working on more opportunities for us to mobilize our resources towards people and need in our city. But I hope that you don't just wait for the church to do it. I hope that you look at where you are and your place and your sphere of influence and your family and your resources and whatever it is you have, and you say, God, how do I do for you with what I've got? What does that look like? And I just believe that there will be stories that begin to bubble up and form, and and it will sort of um, begin to create this bigger story of what we are about as a church And I want to be about people knowing the love and the healing and freedom of Jesus. Does that sound good? Is that what you want to be about? Let's go do it. Let's go, let's go do it. I think, I think it's going to be good. Well, let's get back to verse 40. So, um, So both Mary and Martha were hearing and doing. They were both engaged in ministry, loving and serving Jesus. But Martha, it says she was distracted. She was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now we got to talk about Martha for a minute. Martha's got some major dynamics at play here. She, uh, she's a little stressed. Martha's stressed. And she kind of comes for Jesus. Like, do you have any idea what's going on here, Lord? Do you see what I'm experiencing? You better fix this. She is doing all the things. And here's the thing. She's doing all the good things and all the right things, but she's doing all the things. And they are distracting her, and they are creating anxiety and trouble in her life. And I think it's so interesting because she is a disciple. Like, I think, you know, if we view Mary or if we view Martha as somebody who's just involved in a bunch of like busy work that doesn't matter, but she's doing the real work. She's taking care of people. She's meeting needs. She's sharing the love of Jesus. She's carrying the load, but she is stressed and she is extended and she is overcommitted and she is busy. And that makes her a little angry and a little annoyed and a little coming for Jesus when he comes to town. And I think I can honestly relate to Martha. I can, I can understand this feeling because we know Martha is what? She's the older sister and, and Mary is the younger sister. And I know what it's like. I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest um, sibling, and I have a younger sister and a younger brother. And I know what it's like to kind of look at my reality and be the one who's kind of in charge of keeping things going making sure things are going okay, um, making sure everything's working, keeping track of everybody, kind of assuming the responsibility while everybody is off just enjoying life and, and loving their freedom, right? Like, I know how that feels. And I think, I think Martha was kind of a little bit like, must be nice, Mary. Must be nice to just kind of go off and do your thing while I'm here doing what we both used to be doing, but now you're gone and I'm on my own and I'm doing all the things and I don't know how to get it all done and I'm carrying the whole burden. And if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? Must be nice. And I know how that feels because I've gotten the phone calls of like, hey, Bria, don't tell mom. 
don't tell mom, but this is what happened or this is what I need. And it's my job to fix it or tone it down before it gets to my parents or by the time it gets to my parents, that's the role that the older sister does, right? And I've thought, well, that must be nice, Monica. My sister, must be nice to just go off to the Peace Corps in Morocco and I'll stay here and just manage the family. Must be nice to just be so free and do what you want and like live your best life. Must be nice. Must be nice. I still feel like that sometimes, but don't tell her. So I, I think we can all, I think it's so human. I think we can all understand, and I think where Martha was at this moment is like, does anybody see me? Does anybody understand what I'm carrying? Do you think I can handle this? Lord, like, you are the one who can fix it. Like, do you think this is okay? Like, come on, like, get in here a minute. What do you think is going on? And what does Jesus do? How does he respond? The Lord answers her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. He names Martha's, Martha's emotions. She's feeling anxious and she's feeling troubled. And what is it that produces that anxiety and trouble for Martha? It's busyness. It's overcommitment. And remember, she's doing good things. She's doing good stuff, but it's overcommitting and the busyness of that stuff. It's also expectations. As the oldest sister, she th- there's a way things should go, and there's a way things should be, and she knows what that way is, and she maintain- maintains it. And whatever's happening right now is an- are not her expectations of what things should be. Comparison. What does it look like for her to live her life versus her sister Mary to live her life? What does it look like for her to follow Jesus versus what Mary is doing to follow Jesus? What that that comparison, these these very common human elements of busyness and overcommitment, missed expectations, comparison are getting in the way for Martha, even though she's doing all the right things, even though she's doing all the good things. You see, she's doing them all for the, for the uh, wrong reasons or maybe even from the wrong place. But the busyness, the expectations, the comparison, the missed focus, it is distracting her from the main thing. And that main thing is Jesus. And he's right in front of her. And he's standing there and she's asking him, tell me, help me what's going on. And he's saying, I'm here. I'm right here. The continuation of performing and achieving and doing from a place that is not connected to Jesus only produces anxiety and trouble, only produces that in her life. Because doing for Jesus as opposed to with Jesus produces anxiety and pressure. It doesn't produce disciples. It produces people who need to cope who need to mask their anxiety, who need to keep up the activity so they don't connect with how lonely they are. It produces people who need to escape or hide or not let anyone know what's really going on. It produces people who passive aggressively come at Jesus and be like, hey, do you see me? Please solve this. It produces, it produces anxiety and pressure and trouble because the burden of doing and performing over being will never be met. It will never ease up. It will always be a heavy load. And I think Martha shows us this really important lesson that it is possible to be doing all the things, all the good things, all the right things, but missing the main thing. It's possible to be doing all the right things, but missing the one thing, the main thing. 
and that's Jesus. He says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled, but one thing is necessary. I wonder if you feel burdened this morning, if you feel weighed down by the load that you're carrying, if you feel unseen, if you feel overwhelmed or exhausted or stuck, you feel like you're drowning and you can't get out, you just feel so weighed down by everything it is that you're carrying. And I look at Jesus' response to Martha and he says her name twice. And when Jesus says something twice, it's kind of this like code for pay attention. Jesus is so intentional about everything he says that the way he says Martha's names is a message all in itself. What he does is he, well, first, I love Jesus. He reflectively listens to Martha, right? He, he hears her, and then he names what he's hearing. He names her feelings, and he creates space for her to bring the rawness of what it is she's feeling, whether it's right or wrong. He makes space for that. And he calls her outside of those emotions that are shaping her whole perspective on her life and on Jesus. And he anchors her back, back into who he's called her to be. Like the first time he says her name, Martha, Martha, he's calling her out of this perspective that's shaded everything she can see. I'm alone. I'm stuck. This isn't working. Nobody sees me. And he calls her into, Martha, I'm here. I am with you. I'm right in front of you. We got to do this together. Remember, as we read these individual stories of Jesus through the book of Luke, we aren't just reading stories that are disconnected. In every interaction, every account, every teaching or healing, Jesus is pointing to a broader message. He is pointing to the new way, the new thing he is doing. He is ushering in the new kingdom with every act and every word that he does. And we have to remember that for Martha, this was really new. It was really new for her to be in back in the village by herself and her sister to be out traveling with the disciples. It was new for her and it was new for the people around them. It was new for Martha to absorb all these responsibilities, to lead people who were following Jesus, to do all of these brand new things. And it wasn't safe and it wasn't easy and there wasn't a lot of space to figure it out. It was happening and she was doing it and it's all happening at one time. And I think also as a sister, she's worried about her sister who's off in the countryside because the message of Jesus wasn't safe. And there were people who were coming for Jesus and were coming against what it was he was proclaiming and doing. And it was new for Martha. This wasn't how things go. This, they were breaking the social norms of the time. And I think Jesus was saying to Martha, and I think he says to us, there are going to be times that what I call you to do pulls you outside of your norm or your perception of safety. There are going to be times that what I'm asking of you is uncomfortable and hard and difficult and nobody else understands it. There are going to be times that what I'm asking you to do is so unlike what everybody else is doing, what you think it should look like or how they tell you it should be. There are going to be times that following me means stepping outside of your safety or security or perception of your agenda or how things should go or the norms that you've experienced, there are going to be times that this is going to be hard or difficult or confusing. But Martha, 
It's about more than just you. Yes, you are the older sister, but this is bigger than you. This is part of the new thing I am doing. And what you and Mary are experiencing, I want to open the door to call more people into. And if you don't do it and you don't do it now, we're not going to have an opportunity to move things forward together so that more people can experience the love and the healing of Jesus. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? What Jesus has to say for Martha, he has to say to you because because no matter what our circumstances are or what we are experiencing or what God is calling us to, it is a part of a bigger story. Because when you follow Jesus, it's not just about your experience as the older sister. It is about the broader kingdom story being ushered in so that more people can experience healing and freedom. The gospel is alive and it is moving and the story is not done and you have a place in it. So when things are confusing, when they are weighing you down, when it doesn't look like there's a way out, just remember that Jesus is on the outside of it, calling you in, calling you further, and you can trust him because he is bringing his new kingdom here to this earth, and it is something that is for all of us to experience. And Jesus says, I am here. I am the one thing. He's called her Martha, Martha, remember you are, you are distracted with many things, but I am the one thing. I am the one thing. And that's Jesus. And Jesus has the capacity to hold the Marys, the Marthas, all of us. He has the capacity to hold all of the emotions, all of the things that get off track. He makes space for you. I think the beauty of this story is that Jesus isn't calling Martha to be Mary. He's not saying, Martha, you need to do it this way. He's calling Martha to be Martha, Mary to be Mary, and you and to be you and us to be us. He has the capacity as long as he remains the one thing. And when we are in a place of anxiety and trouble, when things feel like they're closing in, when they're too new or they're scary, or we feel like we can't get out, we can know that the Lord is making space for us in those moments. And that because of him, we do have a choice. I think Martha felt like all this is happening to me and I can't get out of it. I don't have a choice. And Jesus says, no, I am the one thing. Stay focused on me. Stay focused on the being with me. And you can choose me. You can go from many things to one thing. You can choose me as your portion, and I will be enough. I think it causes us to ask ourselves some questions of just what this reality looks like in our own lives. Because I think in a culture of consuming and hustling and activity and busyness and overcommitment and comparison, it is so easy to coast towards the doing over the being. And when I talk to people in this church, in this city, I hear so many stories of loneliness, of anxiety, of trouble, of distraction, of isolation. I hear so many stories of people dealing with what we're reading about Martha dealing with. I think we feel stuck and defeated and sometimes a little angry. And when I think about Martha, I can't help but also kind of think about the culture of just the, the broader church, just the busyness and the events and the doing, 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 all good things, all right things, but just the propensity to fill up our schedules with something that's happening at church every single night so we can check off the box and know that we're following Jesus. 
the, I think post-COVID taught us so much about what we value as a, as a church culture. That when Sunday mornings got shut down or events got shut down, that, that people kind of were expressing, I don't, I don't know how to follow Jesus without attending an event or doing a thing. Now, obviously, I believe that Sunday mornings and church programs and events are good things and they are needed to help support us on our walk. But I also think that if we look at our culture and we look at what we value, we can coast towards valuing something that's not really Jesus. We value the doing and the achieving and the attending and the consuming, and that makes us feel like we're on track. But when we step outside into our own lives, we are dealing with anxiety and trouble and busyness and isolation, and those two things aren't connected. And I think that we as the church need to look at what is it we value? What, what is it we say means that you're following Jesus? What is the story that we're writing around following Jesus as a church? How do we move from many things to one thing? I think about my own life. I think about the way I think things should go, the way that I set up my schedule, the way that I do my life. I think about how there are times where I struggle with, even in my personal devotional time, when I should be going to the Lord for relief and for goodness and for connection, all I can feel is this nagging pressure to produce or create something that I'm going to give away as somebody who's doing ministry at another time. And that time with Jesus pretty soon becomes work. And it becomes something to do. And it becomes a box to check off as opposed to just the relief and the being that I need as, as a beloved with my father. I think about this week as I was preparing for this message. And, you know, my, my plate is really full. And, and I'm leading a team and, um, and just pursuing organizational health and, and working on this message and being in the city and doing all the things. And then my kid is sick. And we've got child care changes. And all, everything got off track. And I'm a wreck. And I'm up all night like, Lord, do you see me? How am I supposed to do all of this? And it sends me all the way over the edge in a way that shouldn't really be that big of a deal because the many things have pulled me away from the one thing. And I think at the end of that, what I had to say is, God, I'm just going to give you what, what I've got. And I'm going to trust you to do whatever you can or whatever you want to with it. Because as Pastor Leonard prayed this morning, this is about an audience of one. It is for no one else but for you, Jesus. And so you determine what it looks like or what it multiplies to be or what you want to do with it. But I'm just going to give you what I got. Even when it doesn't look how I think it should look, even when I don't think I have the time that I need, I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on you and I'm going to let go of my expectations, my agenda, my comparison, and I'm going to resist those things so I can choose the one thing, the main thing. You see, discipleship is about Jesus. It's about being with Jesus, not the activity that we engage surrounding him. It's about him. You know, as I think about this Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. And, and what we know about the Palm Sunday story is that there were a crowd of people who gathered together um, to praise and honor Jesus. And they were excited about Jesus. They were praising him, shouting Hosanna, laying down palm branches, honoring him. But they wanted a king. They wanted a king who would come in and who would defeat 
um, the, those that were oppressing them. They wanted a king who would come in and, and wield his power. And they had been hearing about Jesus. They had been hearing about his healing and freedom. They had been hearing about his teaching. And they had an expectation of what that was all going to culminate to in the end. And so they showed up, and they honored him, and they praised him. And Jesus came in on a donkey as a symbol of peace. But by the time we get to Good Friday, those people are all gone. Because a Jesus that gets nailed to a cross is not the Jesus that they were expecting. That's not the Jesus they made up in their mind. That's not the Jesus that they said was valuable. That's not what they expected. And so this crowd of people showed up. They were at the event. They were in. They were doing all the right things. They were engaging in praise and honor, but they were missing the Jesus right in front of them. And I think this Palm Sunday and this story of Mary and Martha, we can be about so many things good things, right things, but we miss the main thing. And I wonder where you might be this morning, what it looks like to choose the Lord as your good portion. Where might you need to decrease activity so you can increase your being and your time with Jesus? Can you give up a deadline? Are you interruptible? Do you have rhythms that help you connect to to Jesus and who he is and his love for you without you having to produce or achieve anything at all? I wish this message was just perfect with kind of a bow tie on top and it was like, this is the one thing we go out and do and let's all do it together. But I think the beauty of this message is that the one thing is Jesus and that he has space for wherever you find yourself today. He had space for Mary, and he had space for Martha. He has space for the anxiety and the trouble and the overcommitment. He has space that it might even be a pattern in your life. But whatever it is you're coming with him today, he has space to hold all of that. He has the capacity to do that. And he knows because when he went to the cross and he died and he rose again, he made it so that you never have to be disconnected from the one thing. He made it so that nothing can keep you from him, the one thing. Not your anxiety, not your isolation, not your depression, not your propensity to achieve. Nothing can keep you from him. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too great. There is no barrier he can't break. There is no thing he can't divide. There is nothing he won't do to come after you right where you are right now. He is the one thing. And you can trust him when it's vulnerable, and you can trust him when it feels unsafe, and you can trust him when it's confusing, because he's going to do everything he can to get to you, and he's going to deliver his healing and his freedom. That's what he did as he walked on this earth, that's what he pointed to. That's what he did when he died and was resurrected, and that is the power that is inside of you today. That is, the, And nothing can separate you from the one thing. There's nothing you need to do, or there's nothing that you, you have to do before you can get it. It's right here for you. Jesus is right in front of you. He is here to be received as the one thing. At any moment, you can step away from the many things and connect to the one. And he's here and he's calling your name. Martha, Martha, he's calling your name. He's calling you outside of what it is that's skewing your perception of him or of yourself. And he's calling you into a bigger story. One where his burden is easy and his yoke is light. One where he has the capacity to hold all the things that are weighing you down. He is calling you into a broader story where your healing and your freedom is not something out of reach, some some trick that you can never get to, but it is right in front of you being served up on a table. And Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, 
Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Let's do this together. You make me your one thing. And we're gonna get through this. And it's gonna be bigger and better and more beautiful for yourself and for the world than you ever thought possible, than you could have ever asked or imagined. And so if you're here this morning carrying that load, I just wanna pray for us together. I wanna pray that we can receive Jesus in this moment in a new and a fresh way, that we can truly be with him and that we can receive the one who is standing right in front of us saying, just keep me the, the main thing, keep me the one thing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, your message is so full of hope. It is so full of goodness and faithfulness. It is truly a refuge. It is truly a rescue. When I think about a room this size, I just acknowledge the experiences and the circumstances and the reality of your people this morning. I acknowledge the places of anxiety or depression or isolation or trouble or distraction or busyness. I, I acknowledge those of us who we've all been here might not even know that we need something different than what we're doing. And I just pray that in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would work in the hearts of your people, that you would call each of us by name. And that as we hear your words, we hear you call us out, out of what it is we're believing, what we're experiencing, and into who it is you are and what you are doing. I pray that you would give us a taste and a glimpse of your broader story. And that as a church and as people, you would call us into this holistic view of discipleship, of hearing your word and doing your word, but not doing it at the expense of experiencing you. That you would balance things out, Father. That you would do something new. That you would provide new measurements, new value systems. That you would change the stories that we've written as a church or as a people that are not actually of you. And that you would teach us. That you would break it down for us. That you would walk with us. And that you would remind us of the value and the goodness and the lightness of the doing it with you and not for you. Rescue us from the four and bring us to the beauty of the with. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you that you're on this journey with us. Thank you that no matter how much of a work in progress we are, you are here. You have the capacity for us because of what you did and what you're doing. There is, this story is not over and the end is not written. And we thank you, God, for new beginnings each and every day. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen.